This episode is brought to you in part by June's Journey. Picture it, the glamour of the roaring 20s wrapped in a mystery that only you can solve. Dive into June Parker's captivating quest to uncover scandalous family secrets. With your keen eye for detail, find hidden clues and solve mind-boggling puzzles. It's all about observation, intrigue, and drama. But beware, each clue leads deeper into a thrilling storyline filled with danger and romance. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Your adventure awaits. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. You hear that? That's the sound of another sale with Shopify, your go-to for selling everywhere, online, in-store, and even on social media. Shopify POS is like the central hub for your retail operation. From payments to inventory, it's all there. Got different gadgets? No worries. Shopify's hardware is adaptable, fitting in just how you do business. Start transforming your retail business with an incredible offer. A trial for just $1 per month at shopify.com Wondery. All lowercase. That's shopify.com Wondery. Take the leap and upgrade your point-of-sale solution with Shopify. Visit shopify.com Wondery and start your trial today. Story 1. The Kelly Cahill Abduction In this story, the first of two in this episode we'll be delving into Australia's most notorious alien encounter, one that would become a pivotal catalyst in propelling knowledge of life beyond Earth into the public mainstream. Join us as we take a late-night cruise with the Cahill family into the cold, lonely depths of missing time through the foothills of the southern Dandenong Mountains. It was like waking from some vague daydream. As she returned to her senses, focusing on the dark silhouettes of the trees as they rushed past outside the window, Kelly Cahill turned to her husband with an odd look of confusion upon her face. Andrew seemed focused upon the road ahead, before he finally turned to her with an equally haunted expression. Meekly, She asked him if she had fallen asleep, but he couldn't answer. He simply affected a tighter grip on the steering wheel and shook his head with uncertainty. It was obvious to both of them that they were experiencing the same sense of inner turmoil, though they could not understand what that turmoil was or why they felt it. Something had just happened, but for some reason, they had no recollection of it. There was an odd odour inside the vehicle, and she could feel a small irritation like a minor burning sensation somewhere on her midriff. But it was this vague memory of the red lights that bothered her. She didn't know what the lights were or where she had seen them, just that there had been many, all gliding towards her. The car hit a pothole in the road, snatching her from her reverie. 
Stunned and disorientated, the couple continued their journey in silence, exhausted and longing for their beds, wanting only to alleviate whatever mysterious deeds had unsettled them. On the 8th of August 1993, Kelly and Andrew Cahill were driving home after attending a barbecue hosted by one of their friends. Although it was winter in Australia, it had not been particularly cold. The evening had brought with it a cool breeze and some pockets of light rain, but it had not been enough to dampen their spirits. They had sat chatting with their friends for many hours before finally heading home at around midnight. Their journey took them along Belgrave Hallam Road. Stretching over the long Dandenong Mountains of Southern Australia, the pair made their way through the rolling countryside with ease, looking forward to retiring to their beds due to the lateness of the hour. However, at some point along their route, they spotted what Kelly described as a blimp rising out of the distance. Slowing down, they kept their eyes on this strange object as it drew closer and realised it was actually disc-shaped. Hovering at double the height of the treetops, it drew fast upon them, emitting a dazzling orange glow. The couple could not take their eyes off it as they peered at dark figures standing tall behind what appeared to be windows around the object's outer rim. Kelly had just enough time to point and tell Andrew to look at the people in the windows before it suddenly disappeared. Under the waning moon, the couple continued for another mile or so before noticing a blinding light in the middle distance. The closer they moved towards it, the more they realised it appeared to be a screen of pure white light draped across the landscape ahead of them. Kelly raised her hand to shield her eyes as they drove into it, unable to see anything beyond its radiance. The next thing she knew, the light had disappeared, but their car seemed to be much further along the road, and Kelly immediately wondered if she had blacked out. When the couple returned home, Kelly noticed a mysterious geometric marking below her navel, a red equilateral triangle, the sides of which were about 10mm in length. Several layers of skin within this marking appeared to have been burned away. The couple also discovered that they returned home an hour and a half later than they should have done, meaning that there were 90 minutes of their journey they could not account for. Exhausted, they didn't think too much of it, but the next morning, Kelly in particular began to feel that something was off. Over the next few days, she commenced a long and heavy menstruation, even though her next cycle was not due for a while. This was accompanied by daily nauseating migraines, which she experienced on and off for about six weeks. Medical treatment was sought, and doctors were able to detect an infection in her womb. Further tests were carried out, including sonograms, but nothing would yield an answer as to its cause. She was then hospitalised, and only after being placed on a strong course of antibiotics did her symptoms begin to abate. As for her migraines, 
The doctors perform CAT scans looking for any signs of trauma, but again, nothing was detected. She was simply given painkillers and discharged. But in reality, the real horror of what took place was only just beginning. Soon, a whole sequence of harrowing events would begin to unfold from her memory. Events so extraordinary that her accounts would leave UFO investigators and medical professionals arrested by their utter perplexity and marvel. What she would discover would forever leave an impression, not just upon her life, but also upon her skin and in the soil and grass where those memories were forged. On the night in question, after driving through the mysterious curtain of light, Kelly eventually recalled that they pulled off the road and parked next to a large open field. But what awaited them in that field, they could never have imagined. A colossal craft the size of a three-story building and as wide as an Olympic swimming pool hovered in the air a short distance away. The two of them stepped out of their vehicle and it quickly became apparent that Kelly and Andrew were not the only ones who had stopped to observe the strange object. Two other cars had pulled up about a hundred or so metres away. A man and two women in the closest of these vehicles and another man travelling alone in the one furthest away. Exhilarated by this rare opportunity to witness something so extraordinary, Kelly and the others looked on in amazement. But then, a tall dark figure appeared beneath the craft, with a large group of other dark figures standing behind it. Slowly, Kelly's enthusiasm soured into a brooding uncertainty which pooled in the pit of her stomach. She stated that this sensation was like low-frequency waves, so dense and profound that it became an arresting physical weight upon her. Spellbound, she lost control of her senses and suddenly went mad with absolute terror. She desperately tried to free herself from what she described as an almost hypnotic trance, but no matter how much she fought to secure her own sanity, there was nothing she could do. The figures, who possessed bright red eyes which were disproportionately large in relation to their heads, then split up and headed towards each separate gathering of people, affecting the appearance of demons gliding across the field towards them. One group charged after Cahill and her husband, Another sped after the party further down the road. An electric blow then struck Kelly at her solar plexus, knocking the wind out of her lungs and sending her flying onto her back. Struggling for breath, she attempted again and again to sit up, convinced she was about to die. Suddenly, Kelly was unable to see. There was nothing but darkness as she was overcome by an intense nausea. She sat up, screaming for Andrew, and a hand was then placed upon her shoulder. She recalls one of the figures speaking in plain English. Nearby, she could hear Andrew demanding to be released. Let us go, you bastards. We mean you no harm. 
If you didn't mean us any harm, then why did you hit my wife? Completely terrified, she vomited. She then felt someone examining her. The next moment, she and her husband were back in their car, driving on Belgrave Hallam Road in silence. Kelly would later seek the assistance of UFO researchers who would conduct the most thorough UFO investigation in Australia's history at that time. Cahill's case would be pivotal in bringing this subject into the public eye. For 18 months solid, the location of the incident was intensely probed. Researchers divided several acres of the field into one-meter blocks with pegs and tape. Samples were taken from the ground, aerial surveys were carried out using infrared photography, and magnetic readings were logged by a portable magnetometer. What was found would only prompt more questions regarding the significance of the markings discovered on some of the victims. The ground scans uncovered a large, 20-meter triangular shape in the field. Initially, it was thought to be an impression, but this turned out not to be the case. A carcinogen known as pyrene was instead discovered, which is a chemical found in coal mines, even though no coal mines were located anywhere near the field. Whatever the triangle signified, for five months following the event, Kelly would be visited four more times by one of the frightening beings she had witnessed, who would stand at her bedside in a cloak and hood. She described these visitations in a strange way. The experience would start as a dream, in which she wasn't able to see the entity, but could feel it in other ways. She felt as if she was being pulled by a nearby presence, which spoke to her and told her not to panic. But despite its assurances, she felt the same profound horror she had experienced on the field. It was only when she awoke that she would see the entity briefly standing over her before it disappeared right before her eyes. Aside from these odd visitations, she and Andrew would have countless bizarre electrical disturbances in their home. Kelly related how appliances and lights would turn on by themselves and that she would receive static shocks through things which were not otherwise conductive, such as soil, wood and rocks. The most incredible of these anomalies occurred when the engine of her car started of its own accord, despite the vehicle having still been locked and the kill switch activated. Psychologically, the whole incident had a tremendous effect on Cahill's husband. For many years he would not divulge his recollection of it, until reluctantly, he admitted to Kelly that not only did he remember his experience, but also that he'd had several UFO encounters prior to it. Unbeknown to the Cahills, the other people who had stopped to observe the strange object that night had also reported their experiences to researchers. Kelly Cahill had never met any of the occupants of the other vehicles, either before or after the event, and yet the similarity between each of the accounts is astonishing. On the night in question, the vehicle closest to them, parked about a hundred meters away, 
was driven by a man named Bill. He was accompanied by his wife, Glenda, and a family friend named Jane. Another car was parked a further 30 metres beyond theirs, and this was occupied by a government law department employee named Dave. All of them, apart from Andrew, would produce illustrations of what they had seen. Neither group was made aware of each other's drawings until much later, and the uncanny resemblance between them would only further reinforce the reality and nature of the event. All depicted a circular craft lined with many windows and unnaturally dark figures standing between six and seven feet tall, backlit by a bright white beam being emitted from above. Of the six witnesses, Kelly, Glenda, Jane and Dave each discovered a triangular burn mark on their body, located just below the navel. Andrew and Bill, however, had no such wound. The two other women had also suffered gynecological problems similar to Kelly's in the immediate aftermath, and Glenda in particular would recall waking up in a strange room, strapped to a table, and being examined by a tall entity dressed in a dark cloak. This sounds eerily similar to the creature described in Kelly's subsequent visitation experiences. The only difference in the accounts is that Bill, Glenda, Jane and Dave all reported hearing a humming sound from the craft and blacked out immediately after crossing the road to see what was in the field. Although they saw the figures, they don't recall them having bright red eyes as Kelly described. On the other hand, the Cahills didn't hear any humming and seemed to have remained conscious for a while longer than the other four witnesses. Kelly would go on to say that the eyes of the figures glowed red only after they began to glide towards them. Finally, the accounts of all six witnesses were backed up by reports from residents in the area, saying that they had seen a strange object in the skies at around the same time that the event occurred. There are many reports of alleged alien abduction the world over, and whilst those accounts are both harrowing and intriguing in their own ways, in nearly every single case, there is almost always only one witness. The fact that in this instance, there are multiple witnesses who were previously unfamiliar with each other all reporting the same thing, lends a high degree of credence to their stories. And the fact that the studies of the ground on which the event took place yielded strange results, somewhat corroborating their accounts, should leave even the most ardent of skeptics wondering, what if? What was it that the Cahills and the others present experienced? Was it really an alien abduction, or could it have been a shared hallucination between all six witnesses? If so, what would have caused it? And why did residents across the region also report seeing a vivid orange light in the sky? Perhaps it was more spiritual in nature. Could they all have been spirited away, or even undergone a collective near-death experience? Kelly and Andrew certainly seem to lean towards this possibility, at least at first. Having both come from deeply religious upbringings, their initial impressions of the beings who seized upon them were that they were entirely demonic in nature. For many people, 
The triangular abrasions discovered on their bodies go some way to supporting this assertion. As with the Buffalo Ranch in Colorado, where many otherworldly occurrences took place, some commentators believe that the painting of an equilateral triangle upon the carcasses of the mutilated cows was a way of mocking the Holy Trinity. It's also interesting that all six witnesses described the entities as featureless black shadows, much like the shadow people seen in many haunting experiences. Red-eyed shadow people, as they were described by Kelly herself, have been witnessed all over the world and are viewed by many cultures as demonic, carrying with them sinister agendas. Regardless of what the circumstances may be surrounding the events that took place in the Dandenong Mountains, it was certainly enough to have caused great distress in six different people all at once, to the point where it changed their lives forever. They would never be the same again. We only hope that Kelly, Andrew, Bill, Glenda, Jane and David managed to come to terms with what happened and eventually found peace and solace in the face of such a terrifying experience. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So... What makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Story 2. The Demons on the Fringe Regardless of where mankind's many civilizations and religions originated, there is a prevailing notion that death is not the end for us. The belief in some form of afterlife is almost universally accepted amongst the cultures of this world. In almost every religion, there are theoretical realms which mirror the Christian concepts of heaven and hell, with morality being the arbiter of our final destination, all dependent on how we elect to live our lives and contained within those two opposing kingdoms, there are escorts and emissaries, waiting to usher the deceased onwards into the spirit world. Counterbalancing the depiction of angelic beings, there are writings and drawings of far more malevolent entities. Dark creatures dispatched by their masters 
to lay claim to the souls of those who have been selected to continue their existence in a place of purgatory and punishment. There exist countless reports regarding the actions of such entities, testimonies from those who claim to have survived attempts to remove them from the living world, from witnesses involved in near-death experiences, or others who have been present during the passing of those dearest to them. And if such accounts are to be believed, regardless of your own personal interpretation of heaven and hell, it is clear that these beings are utterly indifferent to our wishes and desires. Be they evil in nature, or mere servants to the instruction of a higher power, they will inevitably achieve their goal. Commonalities in the physical description of such beings across the ages make for troubling reading, adding credence to the arguments that they have always moved amongst us, claiming our loved ones. Features such as glowing red eyes, horns and jet black skin seem too recurring across the various cultures to be mere coincidence. And nowhere are such stories more prevalent than inside the corridors and side rooms of countless hospitals located around the globe where so many people find themselves in a kind of limbo, when they are at their weakest and most vulnerable, sometimes receiving a visitor who is both unexpected and most definitely unwanted. In late 2019, a British man in his late 60s named Martin Kirk was admitted to a hospital in Staffordshire for heart surgery. Obviously due to the nature of the operation, he was required to remain in hospital as an inpatient for several days after the procedure, so that the doctors could monitor his recovery. On the first night after the surgery had been completed, Martin awoke in his hospital bed, dazed, confused, and in quite a lot of pain. It took a few minutes to get his bearings and remember exactly where he was. Although it was dark, he had an overwhelming sense that someone else was with him in the small room, and for some reason, he did not feel safe or comfortable with that presence. So vivid was this feeling, that he reached across with a heavy arm and fumbled with the switches next to his head, until he found the one that turned on the bedside lamps. In the dim light, he began to see movement in the shadows being cast against a nearby wall, at the very edge of these shadows, there was a strange shimmering, as if something was shifting around within them. The more Martin stared in bewilderment, the more intense this movement became, until something began to snake out from it onto the wall. Martin, still feeling the effects of his anaesthesia, found it difficult to move, but seeing this strange phenomenon redoubled his efforts to find the emergency button, as he pressed it, the shadow immediately retreated, and a nurse arrived shortly afterwards. She was understanding that Martin believed what he had seen, and made a show of searching the area he had indicated. When she found nothing, she left him with some words of reassurance, stating that he had been heavily sedated, and that this could sometimes cause hallucinations. Despite his overwhelming anxiety, the surgery had taken its toll, and he couldn't help falling back to sleep. Later that evening, he was awoken by a faint tickling sensation on the calf of his right leg. 
Opening his eyes, he was horrified to see a jet black hand snaking up from underneath the bed and touching his leg with its slender and clawed fingers. Screaming in terror, Martin kicked weakly at the appendage, which promptly retracted. With a great and painful effort, he managed to shuffle himself up into a sitting position and called the nurse in once again. She left after telling him that there was nothing under the bed and that it was probably just a bad dream. But he was so haunted by this experience that he remained awake for the rest of the night, only allowing himself to sleep when daylight came. The following evening, terrified of what the darkness would bring, Martin tried to stay awake, but such was the trauma of surgery and the fogginess of pain-numbing medication that he inevitably fell asleep. When he awoke some time later, he found himself in complete darkness, but again, he felt that someone was nearby. Looking over towards the corner of the room, he saw what looked like a pair of red eyes staring at him. As his sight adjusted, he soon saw the outline of a figure standing there. He could not make out any features other than the bright red eyes, which remained focused upon him. Suddenly, he felt restricted. Looking down, he could see several pairs of deformed hands coming up from under the bed, grabbing at his limbs. He could feel their coldness through his bedsheets. He could feel his heart pounding in his chest, straining under the effort as he squirmed to free himself, until finally, he felt something like a sledgehammer blow to his chest, and then everything went black. When he awoke, it was the afternoon of the following day. One of the nurses informed him that his heart had stopped during the night and that they almost lost him. For the rest of his stay, Martin continued to see dark shapes moving around inside his room, but they kept their distance and gradually ceased to visit him. He rarely slept at night, constantly terrified that they might return. As soon as he was well enough, he was discharged, and he never saw those shadows again. Martin had never been particularly religious prior to his experience, but has maintained since his stay in hospital that there is definitely a dark place to which the dead and dying are sometimes taken, and that he worries about what he will see when he takes his final breath on this earth. A similar story was related by an American woman named Jessica Martinez, who was admitted to hospital in the mid-2000s for a protracted period of essential medical treatment. Unlike Martin, Jessica was placed on a ward with several other patients, and as a result of her treatment, found it difficult to get any meaningful amount of sleep. As she lay in bed staring at her surroundings... Jessica had suddenly caught sight of an unexpected movement at the far end of the ward. With all the other patients apparently asleep and no medical staff in sight, she was curious as to what this movement might be and peered through the darkness in an effort to identify it. At first, she saw nothing. Then, as she watched on, a slender shape suddenly unfurled itself from the shadows and slowly made its way across the room. 
Its outline was blurry, but she could see the definite contours of a head, arms and legs as it wandered from one end of the ward to the other. It was a brief sighting, but she was disturbed by how slowly and deliberately it moved, and it was tall, at least eight feet. Finally, it passed out of the doorway and down the corridor out of sight, leaving a stunned Jessica in a terrified silence. Nothing else took place that night, but over the coming days, she began to notice more of these shadowy figures moving around the hospital. She would observe them out of the corner of her eye, travelling along the hospital corridors and slipping into rooms through doors that were only open ajar. The doors never moved, they simply slid through the cracks. However, the most disturbing aspect of her visions was when she would observe them wander onto the ward and then bend down to whisper in people's ears. The other patients, doctors and nurses apparently couldn't see them, as they didn't react to their presence whatsoever. They never approached Jessica herself, or gave any indication that they knew she could see them. One evening, she saw one of these entities bending over the patient opposite, apparently whispering in their ear, and within a few seconds, they had cried out and sat up in their bed, as if awaking from a terrible nightmare. The figure had then casually wandered out into the corridor. Jessica could only wonder what these beings were whispering to these people, but the thought chilled her to the bone. When she was well enough to leave hospital about a week later, she shared her experiences with her family, who told her that they were most likely just side effects from the pain relief she had been given in the aftermath of her surgery. But she disagreed, saying that apart from some sleep deprivation, she was in full control of her faculties. Another account involving such entities came from an anonymous nurse working palliative care at a hospice in Scotland. She wrote about her experience in an online nursing forum and was shocked when other nurses also wrote that they had either heard similar stories from their colleagues or experienced such things for themselves. The author described how an elderly patient had been admitted to her care who was expected to pass away within the month. It was the nurse's job to ensure that the woman was as comfortable as possible during her final days, but she found that this particular lady spent very little time awake, and instead slept for lengthy periods of time. One morning the nurse was doing her rounds, when she heard a pain scream coming from room 2B, in which the new patient had been sleeping. She hurried over and opened the door, to find the patient sitting upright in bed, mumbling about a dark shape which had tried to drag her away. The nurse calmed and reassured the patient as best she could, but even as she began to relax, she repeated over and over, Don't let the darkness take me. She sat with the older woman for an hour or so before she fell back into a deep sleep. Little did she know that this would be the last time she saw the old woman alive. Several hours later, she had been sharing a coffee with another nurse when they were disturbed by the sound of a heart monitor flatlining and being broadcast to them at the nurse's station. It was coming from room 2B, 
Putting down her mug and hurrying across the corridor, she opened the door to see a dark shape next to the patient's bed. What looked like an arm was reaching down from what she assumed was its torso, with its hand disappearing into the older woman's chest, where her heart was situated. The nurse took a step back in shock and then ran forwards out of concern for her patient, at which point the shape promptly dissipated. Attempts were made to resuscitate the old woman, but unfortunately to no avail. The nurse couldn't quite believe what she had seen as she had entered the room. In her post, she did entertain the idea that it was a momentary visual anomaly, but she couldn't shake the feeling that something else was afoot, given the fact that her patient had mentioned the dark shape prior to her passing. When she spoke to her colleagues about it, some of them confirmed that they had seen similar figures around the hospice, and in particular, next to the patient's beds, at, or at least close, to the time of their death. Others on the forum also shared this experience, especially those who worked in palliative care. Much like the assumption made by the family of Jessica Martinez, such experiences are almost universally put down to the effects of medication on the human brain. Patients undergoing lengthy and serious procedures, such as heart surgery, will often be exposed to large amounts of powerful drugs, like morphine, which can cause hallucinations and other emotional side effects. These visions can be caused by a hormone imbalance in the brain, even in milder painkillers, which do not list hallucinations as a possible side effect. The patient is already experiencing a large amount of stress and anxiety as a result of their admission to hospital. Their bodies have experienced trauma, and all these factors acting together could result in some sort of mental divergence. Those involved may find it difficult to process simple movements, such as an insect in flight or a curtain caught in a draft, and their minds may create phantom shapes or elements to justify the movement. This could go some way to explain why such visions are a regular occurrence within a hospital environment, but how do we explain instances where the staff, who are not on any form of medication, have also reported seeing these entities? Cultures such as the ancient Egyptians believed in the existence of demons, and theorised that these entities targeted specific areas and points within the body. They believed that there were key parts of the human nervous system designed to combat evil, similar to chakra points or energy intersections. When a person was close to death, it was believed these points became weaker and less functional, and it was at this time that a demon would attack and take control of the person's body, shutting it down and then taking their soul. As such, ancient Egyptian medicine centred around the various channels which circulated through the human body, and efforts were made to keep these channels and energy intersections free from interference, which would otherwise allow an entity to exploit such an obstruction, and use it to cause death. With this in mind, it may come as no surprise that patients of heart surgery in particular report seeing these so-called demons more than any other and subscribers to the concept of chakra points would argue that it's because the heart chakra, the body's main energy intersection, has been severely disrupted, 
It is perhaps interesting that religious belief seems to play little part in the existence of these proposed entities. Regardless of whether those involved accept the existence of a higher power, encounters with these so-called demons take place across the world, irrespective of the culture and faith of those involved. In any case, whether these beings are real or imagined, they are no less terrifying to the person seeing them. If they are imagined, it is still an extremely disturbing vision to experience, and maybe we need to investigate why so many people have such similar hallucinations. However, if they are real, well, that is another story entirely.